It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. What is up, everybody? This is Odyssey's 49ers web zone, No Huddle Podcast. I am Brian Rennick. That gentleman to my right is Al Sacco. Uh, Zane Nackvi is currently experiencing a power outage in the Bay Area. Uh, there is a, uh, apparently, I, I learned this from my wife earlier, a hurricane-level storm that is hitting uh, the California coast, and the Bay Area is, like, right, the Bay Area and, and, and the Sacramento area, they're just right in the, like, the zone of, you know, I think we're expecting, like, possibly three inches of rain. Uh, and it's been super windy. And because of that, uh, Zane has uh, currently no power in his East Bay home. And so uh, he is unable to join us today. But uh, Al, we're going to preview the the Cardinals uh, visiting Levi's for our regular season finale. But uh, before that, uh, what are your uh, expectations for for these playoffs? You know, I, I want to start. I think we're going to start with the with the NFC playoff picture. Uh, or we can even explore all of it, but yeah. What are your expectations heading in? Because I know, and I'll share mine in, in, after yours, but uh, I, I've got some pretty high expectations. I do too. And this is going to be a good conversation. I've been waiting to talk about this before we do, Brian, I kind of want to talk to the DeMar Hamlin situation. That yes. is, you know, just thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That is my just, apologies. I, we wanted to start with that, but, uh, but yes, yeah, just, just, just to say a few words, because obviously it's, it was terrifying. And I, and I think sometimes in sports, we forget that there's a human aspect to things and, and, and mm-hmm. these are real people. I think with professional athletes, whether it's a football player, baseball player, whatever, we see them as entertainment. They're a player on our fantasy team. They're a player on a sports card. They're almost like a character in a TV show, right? It's almost like it's not reality for us, these people, but they're, they're human beings. And I, I think this was a very humanizing thing. And, and we get desensitized sometimes when when the football player gets injured because they are playing a different sport than everybody else in terms of what they're doing with their bodies. Yeah. And we see a cart come out and we say, Oh, you know, again, I've seen a few people say, well, we we were waiting for that thumbs up, right. That they're going to be okay. And they're maybe it's a serious injury. Maybe they're out for the year, but in the end they're going to be okay. And and this past week on Monday night, first time I can remember, well, this person may not be okay. And it was scary. It was terrifying. I I can't imagine what, what the players went through. It was just a, a, a jarring thing. And we've seen two moments now this season with Tua, what we saw with Tua when his hands went mm-hmm. kind of crazy and everything with his head, that was terrifying. And with DeMar Hamlin literally fighting for life uh, on the field. Um, yeah. Terrible. And, and I'm not going to, all I want to say is this, is our thoughts and prayers are with him as everybody, the, fo- the whole fo- football community is thinking about him. The whole, I think people beyond football are thinking about him. Yeah. But I just want to say with these players, they put their lives on the line. And that is not an exaggeration. Quite literally. Quite literally, they go out there and they put their bodies and their lives on the line. And for every Peyton Manning that you see or Eli Manning on Monday Night Football and they look great and they're yucking it up, there are hundreds of players. Not that there's anything wrong with that. God bless them. But there are yeah. hundreds of players, hundreds for every Manning Manning, that hit, play football. They're a backup lineman for four years. And they come out, they don't have nearly enough money to support themselves for the rest of their lives. They don't have health insurance. Their bodies are broken and they give it for this game. So, you know, we do a show and we critique and we criticize. These are real people. And it, it really hits home when you think about that. And I know for me, I've thought about this all a lot differently since I started doing this and started actually having some personal relationships, whether it's with players or players' families, mm-hmm. some wonderful families out, out there. And it's, it's just was really humanizing. And again, he's in our thoughts and prayers and it's even not even the players, but the families of the players, the spouses of the players, Kyle Shanahan mentioned that they um, got services for their players. And it was some of their family that had taken wives that were taking advantage of that because they go through that every Sunday too, where they're watching their, their husband or their son or going through this every week. And I, it was really humanizing for me, and and I just just appreciate it, man. Just appreciate what these guys do for entertainment every week. It's not all glitz and glamour. They get out of this, and a lot of them, like I said, their bodies are broken. They they struggle with CTE, signs of it. It's just it's it really is. I have so much respect for these guys and what they do, and 
Hamlin's in our prayers. And I just, I, I just, I needed to say that because I think we forget about the human level sometimes behind this. Oh, I, I don't even think sometimes. I think regularly we we forget the human aspect. And you go on a site like Twitter and you see some of the things that people will say to athletes, right? Um, where you're like, I, I don't think you understand who you're talking to. Like you are talking to a fellow human being and you are quite literally dehumanizing that person because he plays for your favorite sports team or he plays against your favorite sports team. And it sports in general can, can, can really feel like um, a lot more than it actually is. You know, I, I said this on a show with Zane uh, fairly recently. It was just he and I, uh, and I went on my, my Carlos Correa rant uh, for the giants. Right. And I talked about how it almost felt embarrassing to me how much I was affected negatively by that news. I was on Twitter when the news broke that he was signing with the Mets. And like, I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was angry. I was in a bad mood the next day. And I was like, man, this is embarrassing. And so I think sometimes we don't recognize the kind of hold that sports has on us and what it can do to our thought process and some of the decisions that we make and, and, and an incident like this, where quite literally that man died on the football field, his heart stopped. He went into cardiac arrest. He, the, it hasn't been reported, uh, <clears throat> that it hasn't been officially reported, but, uh, many cardiologists and, and doctors on social media in, in the media, ESPN, whatever, um, it, it seems like he did suffer from something called commotio cordis, which is uh, a, a very freak thing that can happen where if there is trauma to the heart at a very specific, specific, uh, very specific time in the heartbeat cycle, right? It's milliseconds that, that this can happen. If there's trauma, then it can quite literally cause cardiac arrest. Um, there's been other incidents of it. Uh, you don't see it on the football field very often. Uh, you see it more uh, in sports. You see it more in things like hockey and uh, baseball and soccer, right? Uh, sports where there is a, a projectile, a ball, a puck that, that can hit a player in the chest. And that's, and that's when that happens. And so, you know, you watch and you can see T Higgins lowers his shoulder and hits him directly in the left side of his chest. And that is, and that is at the exact moment that, that it has to happen. It's literally milliseconds. And so it's a freak accident, but it is an accident that reminds you, like you said, that these are human beings, that DeMar Hamlin is a 24 year old young man with a, a bright future ahead of him that loves to play a sport that in that moment may have cost him his life. And that is, that is something that I can't fathom. I cannot imagine being his father watching that on TV or, or in person or his wife or spouse or significant other. Um, I don't know that he has any kids. Um, but the other thing that I, that I genuinely love that came out of this is that Bill's fans in that moment found this random GoFundMe for a charity that, that Hamlin had started as a college senior. That's the other thing. This kid mm -hmm. is, this kid is, is, uh, the best of the best, right? Uh, off the field. And uh, I believe it is up over $6 million now in donations. And you can see Christian McCaffrey donated, um, Trey Lance donated, right? Other players have donated. You can see it and it's gotten up to 6 million. So while this is absolutely a tragedy, uh, it, it does appear that, that he is still, it seems fighting for his life in Cincinnati. Um, he has not been upgraded out of critical condition. Um, they are still trying to get him to breathe on his own. So we're not out of the woods yet, but continue to send your thoughts and prayers to DeMar Hamlin and his family. And hopefully as we get through, uh, as we, as, as we move forward, um, we as fans and content creators and human beings can remember that that those are fellow human beings out on that field mm -hmm. and they have families and friends and, and people that love and care about them. And they are 
and they are putting their lives on the line quite literally every time they step uh, between those lines. So um, there are much, there are things much bigger than sports. Uh, and this is, and this is one of those. So uh, again, our thoughts and prayers to DeMar Hamlin and his family. And uh, I know it's hard to, to, to switch gears and move towards talking about, about football, but that is what we are here for. And so we will, we will move forward. You know, the, the NFL community is, is, is slowly moving forward and um, we will, we will, we will turn our attention now uh, to Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then, and then for our squad as 49er fans, uh, we can look at the playoffs. This playoff picture is it's fun, man. It, it really is fun. And you look look at the NFC right now. So we have the Eagles right now are the one seed at 13 and three. The Eagles are playing the Giants this week, who may or may not play their starters. From looking at the line, which I think was up to 13-ish, Vegas doesn't think the Giants are going to play their starters. But they have nothing if, to play for. That's the thing. Nothing to play for. Nothing. They are um locked, I believe, into the sixth seed, right? Yes. yes. And um, they have absolutely nothing to play for this week. The Niners at the two seed, if they win, they'll stay there. If they win and the Eagles lose, they would go to the one seed. That's yes. that's the hope, obviously. Um, but if they win, they'll, they'll stay at two, which is also fine. You have the Vikings at three, the Bucks at four, the Cowboys at five, the Giants at six. And where it gets interesting is right now the Seahawks are in the seventh seed at eight. Yeah. Lions are in the eighth seed at eight and eight. The Packers are in the ninth seed at eight and eight. Let's see if we can get this all right. If the Packers win, they're in. If the Seahawks win and the Packers lose, the Seahawks are in. If the Seahawks lose and the Lions beat the Packers, the Lions are playing the Packers on Sunday night. Correct. The Lions are. I said that all right, right? I didn't get yep. ahead of myself on Nailed that. It. So no, we got it. We are looking at the two seed right now. I think if, if I had to make an official Al Sacco prediction, I think that the Packers are, are going to take care of business. They're playing well. I, I just kind of feel like they're 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 going to beat the Lions and, and they're going to end up in that seventh seed. And you have Brian. If they're the seventh seed, who would they play? What's the team? They would play, play the San Francisco 49ers. They would play the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> so that to me, and that's probably for the NFL too. You think the NFL's rooting for that matchup? Holy shit, that's a great <laughs> matchup. And the yeah. Niners. I mean, look, I, I don't, I'll be honest with you. The only team that's kind of scares me is the Eagles uh, with a sure. without Jalen Hurts. But man, could you imagine wildcard weekend, the Niners and the Packers, that, that would be a pretty cool. Let, let me ask you this question. So, and, and you went over it and, and nailed it, right? So there are essentially three, three possibilities for the 49ers as the two seed, right? It's mm -hmm. the Seahawks, the Lions and the Packers. Rank those for me from would would like to see the most to would like to see the least. Of those three teams, who do you who are you hoping the 49ers face? Again, not not for storylines, but mm -hmm. wanting the 49ers to make it out of the wild card round. Wow. I, I'm not afraid of any of those teams, but yeah. if you had to rank it, what would you rank it as most want to see versus least want to see? I least want to see the Packers. And the reason okay. I say that again, not that I think they've played particularly well this season or they're, they're a particularly good team or anything like that. Aren't you just, maybe they're kind of due. That scares me a little bit. Just sometimes that kind of get, well, for my head, who can always find the, you know, mm -hmm. the scary part of things that scares me a little bit. The Seahawks would be the team I'd want to see the second least because division team, you just never know. Sometimes you kind of know each other, right? That would scare me. And then the Lions, watch, I say this, and the Lions are going to beat the Niners at 40 to 20. But the Lions don't scare me at all for, for a number of reasons. I know they have a good offense. It's been playing well, but there's not a lot of playoff experience there. I, I, I don't, Jared Goff is a statue. The Niners have done well mm -hmm. against him in the past. I, I They don't scare me at all. So I would say Packers, I want to see the least, and then the Seahawks and then the Lions. I, I, I'm, I, I think I'm going to flip two of those. Um, the team I want to see the least is the Seahawks. And it's not because I am scared of the Seahawks, but the 49ers experienced exactly this same scenario 
last year in the NFC Championship game. They faced a team for the third time that they had already beaten twice that season, and they lost. It's very difficult to beat a team twice in an NFL season, which is why if they beat the Cardinals on Sunday, and, and I believe that they will, the David Blau-led Cardinals, and we'll get into that later, mm-hmm. uh, that's a sweep of the division, which is really, really impressive. Um, it's difficult to beat a team twice, let alone three times. And so 49ers experienced that last year. They went to L.A., and and they lost. They had beaten the, the Rams two times already that season, and they lost. Let's be perfectly honest. This Seahawks team is nowhere near the 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 level of that 2021 Rams team. So it's it's not that. But there's just, I mean, when you know a team as well as those two teams know each other, it really feels like anything can happen. And I just would prefer not to have to worry about that. And so for me, it's the Seahawks. And then it is the the Packers, just because I mean. I, I know that the 49ers have owned the Packers in the playoffs. I get it. But there's also this idea of, you know, they're going to be due at some point. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Are you afraid of their skill position players? No. Um, are you afraid of their defense? Eh, a little bit. Their their defense is good. I'm not afraid of their I'm, I'm not afraid of their defensive coordinator. That's the thing, right? Um, if we know anything about Kyle Shanahan, we know that he knows how to attack uh, a uh, a Brandon Staley style defense and Joe Barry right. who came to green Bay last season from the Rams uh, runs that type of defense. So I'm not even scared of that. It's just when you have a hall of famer under center, I, I feel like you're in any game regardless of how your, what your record is or, or how well you played in the regular season. So that would be my second. And then the lions, again, the lions do have a really good offense. Their defense has started to, to play better. Uh, but, they're also uh, not the same away from Ford field that they are at Ford field, Correct. which is Correct. why we saw them lose to the Panthers in Carolina and then come back and absolutely, uh, you know, put it on uh, who they play last week. Regardless, they got a victory. Um, they're playing at Lambeau Sunday night, which is why I think the Packers are, are, are going to win because uh, they're playing at home. And so I, I think it's going to be the Packers, but Hey, this has been a wonky season, so so you never know. But uh, but yeah, that would be from least uh, least favorite to most favorite. I want Seahawks, Packers, Lions. And the Packers, if they win this weekend and get in, they they would have won five games in a row. So they are on a little bit of a streak. Mm-hmm. Has it been an overly impressive streak. Uh, they won no. at Chicago twenty eight nineteen. They beat the Rams 24 uh, 12. They beat Miami with two of throwing the three picks in the second half after he got the mm-hmm. concussion 26 20. And they trounced Minnesota 41 7. Yes. For what that they did. Was. They did. But Rodgers has been playing most of the season with injuries. His thumb is broken, I think. And mm-hmm. maybe he's getting a little bit healthy right now. His numbers haven't been terrific at all in this four game winning streak. He hasn't thrown for over 238 yards or for more than one TD in any of those games. So it's not like he's really lighting it up. Um, the strength of the Packers is their running backs with Dylan and Aaron Jones, who they never give the ball to. They do, do not use Aaron Jones nearly enough. Um, so they would still, I could just, I don't know. There's just that, that thing again, where the Niners have beaten them so many times at some point, I just wonder if, if, if the ball is going to bounce a different way. But having said that, I, I feel really good about the Niners in the first round, regardless, of, regardless of who they play. <laughs> and then as you get in the second round in the NFC, Philly is going to be there. Uh, um, I, I have Minnesota is the type of team I, I could see losing in the first round, no matter who they. Play. Oh, they, for sure, a hundred percent. So it's tough to pencil them in. I really think Dallas is going to get there. I, I really do. Um, but then again, you have Brady. That'll be a good game with Brady and Tampa. But I think Tampa just kind of stinks. I, they just pull a lot of games out of their ass. But I think the Cowboys are going to be there. I think the Niners, <laughs> and the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, uh, I kind of feel like the Vikings are going to get upset. So, um, what would, it I would be? I would bet money that they're going to lose their first round matchup to the Giants. So I would bet money so, on it. So let's say they do. They're going to play the Giants, right? If they're in the three mm-hmm. seed, yeah. So if that if that happens, the Giants go to the Eagles. The Niners Correct. play the Cowboys. If that Correct. would happen. Correct. Well, the winner of Cowboys Bucks. Winner of Cowboys Bucks. I'm going to say yeah. that. So I would say the Cowboys. The Bucks. We've seen what the Niners did to them, and I think it would be mm-hmm. a similar type outcome. I think the Niners could beat them pretty handily. 
Dallas, I don't know. Um, they're the type of team I kind of feel is with what Dallas team decides to show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, <laughs> Dallas is interesting. You know, you look at some of the games they've played and, and you look at like what they did against the Eagles uh, and you're like, okay, that offense is good, right? But then you see them play the Jaguars and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that offense is not good. Um, I think – I don't think the Cowboys can play offense well against a team with a decent defensive line. Um, and I know that the Eagles have a good defensive line um, and they still – you know, that was a that was a shootout. But that's also a division game. It was the second time they played each other. Um, I, I don't know how much you take away from that. Uh, I'm not uh, – the, the Eagles are the only team that that really scares me in the NFC. And we've talked about this before. And for me, it's it's because of Jalen Hurts' mobility. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I uh, my buddy Tim Sprinkles uh, played college ball, uh, played quarterback in college. Um, so, you know, knows the position and, you know, he said, you know what, like a, a shoulder injury, like it's going to take more than two or three weeks to recover from. And so as much as, you know, as much as he is likely going to play this week for them, uh, he may not be the same quarterback that he's been as an MVP candidate for this season. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Uh, but, but yeah, the Eagles really are the only team that, that scares me. Now, it's any given Sunday in the NFL. We know that, you know, obviously. But again, when we prognosticate like this, when we sit here and talk about it, all you can do is go by how teams are playing, how teams are built, what the roster looks like, right? It's all on paper. And on paper, arguably there isn't a team better in the NFC than the 49ers. You might put the Eagles ahead just because you've got Hurts at quarterback who does have one playoff, one game of experience in the playoffs and has mm-hmm. been playing like an MVP candidate. Uh, but outside of that, I, I don't know that there's anything that the Eagles have on paper that you would take uh, in San Francisco over what, you know, what they already have. So um, where the Eagles, yeah. where the Eagles scare me, and I know Lane Johnson's battling an injury. Um, I know they've mm-hmm. had some injuries, but the thing where I would point to them, offensive and defensive lines are good. Really good. Yes. And that's yeah. where I think if, if that's where the, a lot of the Niner strength is too. So I think if, if that is even or close to it can level the playing field a little bit. And what scares me with the Eagles the most, we mentioned last show about the rushing lanes that were open up for Jared Stidham. Hopefully the Niners are going to see that and clean that up because if Hertz gets things like that, it may not matter if the shoulder hurts or not, because he may run sure. over them. Um, well, and, and I, I was going to say the interesting thing, I was going to say the interesting thing about that is it felt like what Nick said, Nick Bosa said after the game, was those lanes were there largely because they underestimated Jarrett Stidham's athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they went into that game kind of with a mindset of like, we don't need to mind the running lanes when we rush because he's not the type of athlete that's going to get out of the pocket and, and do anything. And so Bosa said we underestimated Stidham and specifically pointed to that. And so I would assume going into a game, like uh, if they were going into a game against the Eagles, that would be one of the, one of the points of emphasis for them is we cannot, we cannot abandon our, our lanes. We cannot allow, uh, you know, the same kind of run lanes that we did against, Mm -hmm. against Vegas. The other thing that scares me about them. And then someone asked a good question in our chat that I want to get to, um, you have Devontae Smith, you have A.J. Brown, you have some serious receivers out there. We've seen mm-hmm. with Devontae Adams. That scares me a little mm-hmm. bit, too, if those guys mm-hmm. can get open. Can maybe turn into a shootout. And the question that I liked was, um, this person asked, can Brock Purdy compete in a shootout with Aaron Rodgers, in your opinion? Now, I'll tie this into Aaron Rodgers, and I'll tie it in with the Eagles, with, with who we're talking about. And I think the answer is yes. I think if you asked me that six weeks ago or seven weeks ago, can Jimmy Garoppolo do it? I would have said probably not. I think the Niners yeah. have to keep the game in the 20s. But now what you're seeing is a team that scored 37 the past two weeks, that have scored 30-plus the four of the past five. Yeah, they can win a game in the 30s now. I don't think they would have been able to do that if you asked me six, seven weeks ago. But now I think that. So I'm going in very confident into the playoffs because I think the defense will get their act together and they will keep the score down. And I think you have an offense that's going to be able to score a lot of points. 
you're going to have Debo back. You're going to have Eli Mitchell back. You're going to have pretty yeah. much every full complement. They even think Aaron Banks is going to be back, right? From what I saw, yeah. they, they think he'll be back. So you're going to have a full complement of weapons. You're going to have a quarterback who's getting out of pressure, who's not making the big mistake, who you're putting up points with. And I, I think they can do that. So I'm, I'm very confident going to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I am as well. Um, I, I agree with you. I do think now, you know, we say Brock Purdy and it is, it's Brock Purdy. He's the one pulling the trigger. Uh, but really what I trust is Kyle Shanahan calling the plays for Brock Purdy to be able to maintain, you know, or to be able to compete in a shootout with, with an Aaron Rodgers. Um, this offense is, is, is getting healthier going into the playoffs, right? They're going to add a Debo Samuel. They're going to add Elijah Mitchell. And like you said, Banks, the, the, the injury for Banks is a lot uh, less severe than they initially anticipated. And so uh, there, I believe there's a possibility he'll play this week. I would assume they'll hold him out. Um, I would if, if I were them and, and give him a, a week to rest, but it, it does sound like he'll be, uh, he'll be available, which again, uh, opens it up to allow Brunskill and, and Burford to continue that rotation at right guard. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems like what they've done going into every game is said, Spencer, you're starting. And then if he starts to struggle, they bring Brunskill in and then mm -hmm. they kind of alternate the two. And so I think they want to continue to do that. So if Banks isn't out and Brunskill can return to that role, I think that's the, the most ideal for them. Um, and this run game has only gotten better as the season has gone on. McCaffrey has really found a footing as a, mm -hmm. as a running back, not just a, a receiver. And so with McCaffrey, with Elijah Mitchell, with Jordan Mason, uh, you know, I, I think, I think they can win a shootout, but I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a, a boa constrictor type uh, performance from this team in the playoffs. They're going to choke out their opponent on the defensive side, and then they're going to choke out the time on the offensive side and just run the ball as much as possible. Um, and so I, I don't know that they're going to get in any shootouts, but I think if they do, I, I do think Brock is is up to it. And so that kind of leads me to one of the questions that that Zane brought up. Unfortunately, again, he's not he's not with us today. His power is out. Um, do you feel like Kyle Shanahan trusts Brock Purdy more than Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance? Yes. Yeah. And 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 how does that and for you, how do how does that play out? What do you look for to say, yeah, I can point to this and say, I really do think that that he does trust him a little bit more. Well, I think the play that I that when I first said, okay, he trusts him. Well, let me go back to the Miami game. He threw, and I want to pull his stats up, but he threw 30 plus times when he first came in 30 in the Miami game. So it wasn't a thing where Kyle brought him in and said, Oh man. This is my third string quarterback. You know, they got up seven to, what was it? 10 to seven after he let him on the first Ten, drive seven, there. Yeah. And then Shanahan said, all right, you know, I got to make sure we just run, run, run the ball. He threw 37 times in that game. That was mm -hmm. the first thing that I said, wow, he, tr he trusts him. Even in the Tampa Bay game, playing Tom Brady, playing a good defense. You look at Brock's numbers and he was 16 to 21 for 185 yards. You say, well, he didn't do a ton of damage. Well, he did because it was all in the first half. And then the Niners kind of took their, their foot off the gas. And the play that I was going to refer to was the Seattle game. When they needed that game iced, it's third and one, I believe, calls a rollout. And basically on the play where Purdy was rolling out, he had two options. He could either hit the player in the flat, and if that wasn't there, he was trusting him to run and get the first down. Put the ball in his hands on third and one. He didn't say, all right, I'm going to give it to McCaffrey. I'm going to run it. Put the ball in his hands. Ice the game. And Purdy did, Purdy did that. And I, and I think you saw it also in this past game against the Raiders when they were down, there didn't seem like there was any fear in Shanahan to let him throw the ball and get him back in the game. And at the end, um, when they missed the field goal, so they're tied, right? Going into that last, I was got to think of these games, going back to that last drive, Shanahan could have kind of played for overtime, kind of played it sort of safe. He had Purdy throwing the ball downfield. And you look at the last pass that kind of ended up being a duck that I got up and grabbed. Um, I think it's maybe, I don't remember, maybe he got pressured or it got thrown a little late, whatever it was. But the, the point of this is, that he trusted him to throw downfield and just try to end the game right there instead yeah. of just trying to play for the field goal and nickel and dime. He showed multiple times that he trusts Brock Purdy. And I think he'll do the same in the playoffs. And I think you'll see things where towards the end of the half, if you're winning 13 to six, where a lot of times he would sit on the ball with Jimmy, I think he might, I think he might push the envelope there. I think you'll see that. So 
it's crazy to say that, yeah, he trusts this rookie seventh round draft pick, but he does. And I think he does more than Jimmy and definitely more than Lance. Who he yeah. Didn't even, but, so. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think the big, the big clue is always going to be play calling. Right. And uh, we had the comment up earlier, Christopher Johnson said end of quarter or end of half play calling shows that Shanahan trusts him more. Um, I, the other thing, and, and I, I tried to find this and I couldn't. Um, and I imagine somebody might be able to maybe even while I'm talking here, Al, maybe you might be able to, it feels like to me <clears throat> anecdotally, right? Because I don't have the stats. One of the ways that I feel like another, uh, another clue that he does is the amount or, or the number of times that Kyle Shanahan has thrown on first down with Brock Purdy under center, because in the past, Right. The way that that Kyle Shanahan called games with Jimmy Garoppolo specifically, and we can't even really get into Trey Lance because there's just not enough data. Right. There's very few right drives, very few games, whatever. Obviously, the number of times he ran Trey Lance tells you that he didn't trust him fully with the offense. So there's that. But with Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, the name of the game for the offense with Jimmy Garoppolo under center was efficiency. And mm -hmm. it's, it's still the name of the game with Brock Purdy, but not, not to the level that it is with Jimmy Garoppolo. And what that was, was Jimmy Garoppolo nails on third down, right? But nails on third down when it's third and manageable third and long, right. not as much. Right. And so in order to stay ahead of the chains, Kyle Shanahan was calling a lot of runs on first and second down, Right. So that you can get to third and manageable if you don't bust this run or whatever the case may be. And what I feel like I've seen from, from Kyle is on a first down, when they come to the line, I'm like, here, they're going to run the ball. And all of a sudden it's play action with Purdy or even just a straight drop back with Purdy. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, that's surprising. We're throwing on first down. And you, you do have to trust your quarterback if you're going to throw on first down. Because if you miss that throw, you're at second and 10, right? And you've really hamstrung yourself uh, on that drive already, right? You're you're behind the chains now. You've got no positive yardage on first down. And so I don't remember him. Uh, I don't remember him throwing a lot on first down with Jimmy. I'm not saying he never did, but I don't remember it being as often as he does with Purdy. And so, like I said, that's more anecdotal on my end. I haven't been able to, to find numbers to bear that out. But to me, I would agree with you. He does trust Purdy more. And it's not, I, I think part of it is he trusts him to throw the ball away if he needs to, because he's yeah. done that in, in, in his five games, four that he started. He's arguably, he's probably thrown the ball away more than Jimmy Garoppolo did in all of his starts that he's had this season combined. And that's with Jimmy Garoppolo with us giving him props for throwing the ball away more. Jimmy Garoppolo right. was doing it more this season. And even with that, I still feel like Purdy in these five games of, of gameplay has done it more. He, I think he trusts Purdy to, to make the right read. And if it's not there to use his legs to either extend the play or throw the ball away. So I absolutely believe that, that he trusts Purdy more than he does uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and we've had quite a few comments uh, in, in the comment section uh, agreeing with us. So um, I yeah. do, th I definitely think there, there is um, the, the answer to that question is, is yes. He reads the field better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He reads the field post-snap better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think Kyle Shanahan sees that and, and, and takes uh, solace in in being able to call call the game a little bit differently with Brock than he would with with Jimmy. Get ready for a whole off season of Brock and Trey. I, it's going to be fun. It's going to probably sure. drive me crazy, but it's also going to be fun. All right, I wanted to transition um, while we have time. I mentioned I want to talk about Mike McGlinchey because yeah, she's a guy who I mentioned last show. I want to talk about him. McGlinchey's a guy who's taken a lot of heat. A lot of people love to pick on Mike. A lot of people love to put um, highlights of him getting beat on Twitter and see how bad he is and everything else. Well, McGlinchey's played pretty damn well lately. McGlinchey has not given up a sack uh, since week eight. He kept Max Crosby off the stat sheet in this last game. 
um, which they didn't even give up a sack in this the offensive line, which was the fifth game of the season where they hadn't done that. McGlinchey has played really, really well. Um, really, really well, I think, in, lately. And I think he's sort of starting to change the narrative on that. So got to give him his props, man, because he's taken a lot of heat. And I think that he's, he's changed things to the point where I don't know if they can afford him, but I think maybe early in the year you're saying the Niners are not going to sign him back. Well, 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 now they are. Now they definitely are. I think, I'm sorry, now, now I think, it's, I don't know if they definitely are. I think it's, I think it's definitely. They would definitely around. want to. They definitely would, would, would like to have him back, I think. So um, I don't know that they're going to sign him back. I, I think maybe Miami might be interested in him. I don't know if they could afford him if he hits the open market, but I think he's someone they'd like to have back now. And just watching, you mentioned the running game earlier. The last five, four games in Purdy starts, they've run for 36 for 209, 5.8 yards per carry, 34 for 175 yards per carry, 26 for 153, 5.8, 27 for 176.2. Purdy's only been sacked four times in the four games, uh, zero times in the game against Tampa. It would be one time in the next game, which was against Seattle, three times against Washington. He wasn't sacked at all for the Raiders. So they've been, I mean, Purdy gets out of things too, but um, yeah. They've been protecting him. They've been running the ball. The offensive line overall has done a really good job. And I think McGlinchey, like I said, has changed the narrative to the point where it was before he's not going to be back to the team to now there's a chance that I think they would want him back if they can make it work. I agree. I uh, our, our buddy Zane has uh, charged his phone in the car. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him in. Uh, as I as I talk about uh, Mike McGlinchey here, uh, he will not be on video, but uh, we'll we'll at least get him uh, his uh, dulcet tones on the uh, audio portion of the podcast. But um, no, I I agree. I think largely, like you said, the narrative around Mike McGlinchey has a lot to do with with social media more than more than anything else because Mike McGlinchey, when he gets beat, it is often uh, at the most inopportune times. And so those get highlighted and, you know, I, what I appreciated was Shanahan went out of his way, uh, after that Raiders game to, to praise McGlinchey for the job that he did on Max, Max Crosby, who is one of the better, uh, pass rushers in the NFL and, and, and McGlinchey shut him out, right? No, no sacks in this game. Uh, not much of an impact in the game really overall at in, in general, but the, the line has played better than I anticipated mainly because didn't know what we get out of Brendel. And again, didn't know what we were going to get in out of those guard spots. And here's the beauty of, you know, you talked about Mike McGlinchey and whether they can afford him. Here's the other thing that I don't know. I, I don't think we talk about this enough. The other advantage of Brock Purdy playing at this level is regardless of who is QB1 next year, what Brock Purdy has proven is that you can go into next season with Trey Lance and with Brock Purdy as your quarterback room, which at that point, you are paying QB1 and QB2 roughly $10 million. That's the biggest advantage any team has in the NFL in roster building is what they are currently going to be paying QB one and QB two. So the emergence of Brock Purdy also makes roster management probably a bit of an easier job for, for John Lynch and company next off season. And it might actually make it to where Mike McGlinchey is affordable for the 49ers because of the level of cap space that they're going to have when you're only paying combined 10-ish million dollars for QB1 and QB2. So that's the other thing that I think, uh, you know, goes a little bit unspoken as of right now because we're focused more on the football and, and playoffs and things like that. So that's also part of why this Brock Purdy emergence is, is huge for this team. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Mike McGlinchey is better than people uh, give him credit for. And I think, unfortunately, just like Trey Lance, Mike McGlinchey's reputation is largely based on the fact that he was taken ninth overall. And that's not his fault. You can't, mm -hmm. it is what it is. The team decided to draft him and has he played like a ninth overall pick? Probably not, but has he played like a first round pick? A hundred percent. So yeah, I, whether they got him, yeah, look at the whether they got him at nine or 
29, I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, right. The offensive line play around the league has been so bad and it's so poor. Yeah. Like you're going to, it's again, I don't know that they're going to resign him. I think they want to maybe bring him back now because you right tackles just don't grow on trees. Right. Solid right tackles. So right. we'll see. We'll see what happens. I feel like McGlinchey is not as bad as people say, but he's also not, he's obviously not like a top 10 tackle in this league, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm with that. And I think that when it comes down to replacing him, if you, if you let him walk, you have to have a replacement. Um, to your point, Brian, about Brock Purdy's emergence, like if, when you have a guy like Brock Purdy, who's able to elude the rush as easily as he has, like, I mean, every game there's, there's three or four plays where it may be an incomplete pass or just a throwaway. And he's, he's eluded the rush and been able to get out of a sack. Like last game, he, he got out of a safety in the last game where there was a free rusher coming at him. So it just really comes down to whether you can actually like replace Mike McGlinchey with an, an equivalent talent level player. And if they can't do that, then, then you have to keep him like, because you have to have some sort of, you have to have some sort of continuity on the offensive line for no matter what quarterback it is, whether it's Trey, whether it's Brock, whoever it is, they're both young quarterbacks. They both need that protection up front. And the last thing you want is, is a David Carr situation where you have a young quarterback who hasn't played a lot and you just wreck him because he's just always getting hit and getting hurt and getting sacked. Um, I know we want to look into this Arizona game just real quick, but uh, we have a question and I'd like to get as many questions. I'd like to answer all the questions if we can, but um, they asked, what do you guys think will happen with Trey Lance next year? I don't know right now. Let's see what happens in the playoffs. Um, let's see how far Purdy takes them. I think it, the the worst case scenario, maybe actually the best case scenario for Lance is they may kind of sort of say he's QB one with Purdy with the opportunity to take him over. But look, we don't even know if Lance is going to be ready for OTAs right with the with the second surgery he had to have so that, that's a bigger deal than people want to make it out to be but i think here is what i think again we have to see what happens purdy has shown enough to me where he's can be qb1 and if he takes them to an nfc championship game or to the super bowl or if he if he wins the super bowl i think it's an open i think it's a shut case i think he's qb1 but yeah. i think purdy will put himself in the position to be qb1 with lance in a competition type situation where if Lance comes in and he looks great, maybe he can overtake Purdy. But if Purdy continues to, even if the Niners lose, if Purdy continues to play the way he's played, I do not know how you could take him out of the starter quarterback position. Unless Lance comes in and looks like Patrick Mahomes and you're like, holy shit, he, he grew a ton. I don't see how you can move Purdy out of anything, the way this team has responded, the way they've played, the way the offense has looked. You know, assuming he doesn't have a four interception shit show in the playoffs, assuming it stays status quo be very hard for me to say that he wouldn't go into the camp at least in a QB competition at worst. I mean, if you're Kyle Shanahan, are you really going to bench Brock, not bench, but like, are you really going to not start Brock Purdy over uh, and, and pick Trey Lance, who's a totally unknown right now? Like, are you really going to do that? You know exactly what Purdy can do by that point. Because by that point, he'll have played almost almost half a season worth of games, hopefully, by, if they make this a longer playoff run. But are you willing to sit down on the bench for a completely unknown quarterback who's only started three games, basically played three games in three years, including college, and will have to get acclimated to the offense and and have to have, have to go through that learning curve. Like, are you really going to do that for Kyle? I, I don't know. Like, I'm with you, Al. I think that Purdy probably starts as QB1. They'll give Trey a shot to win the job, but it's just really unfortunate because I, I, I love Trey. I'm a Trey guy, but it's just a timing thing. And Purdy's emergence has just been so uh, – it's, this was such an unlikely scenario. Nobody saw this coming, but it's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's, it's a great problem to have. And, and honestly, you know, obviously we cannot answer this question right now because it, it really is going to depend upon how the team does uh, in the playoffs with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Uh, we said it last show. Uh, you and I agreed out that uh, we have not seen a player play the quarterback position under Kyle Shanahan as a 49er better than Brock Purdy has in this five game stretch. And so if that continues and you know, if, if they, if they lose in the playoffs because, you know, Brock Purdy turned the ball over multiple times and, you know, just looked lost out there, then, then I think the, I think the narrative changes. I don't see that happening though one of the strengths that that Purdy has shown is his ability to uh to make the right read and to not throw the ball in into dangerous uh 
uh, areas, right? He's not throwing to double covered receivers. He's not throwing, you know, he's not, he's not throwing over the middle and, and, and missing, you know, the, the, the robber or the linebacker or whatever, right? Like the interceptions that he's thrown are on balls that I genuinely appreciate that he, that he attempted, right? Deep balls, right? The, the, the interception in against Miami was essentially an arm punt on fourth down. And then the interception to, uh, Amik Robertson last weekend, just a great play by the DB. And, and, and he did not see him drop back, thought that that Kittle was going to be open under through him through an interception. I think he's going to learn from that. And, and I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't expect to see something like that again. So, uh, like I said, unless, unless Brock Purdy absolutely implodes in, in, in the playoffs, then, then I think you go into next season. And, and like you said, uh, Zane, I know what I have in Brock Purdy and what I have has not shown, has not limited my offense. Like Jimmy Garoppolo limited my offense, right? We haven't seen this offense. We haven't, we haven't seen Brock Purdy under center. And at the end of a game go, man, he left a lot of meat on the bone, right? Like there was a lot that he left out there this past game. There was, he, he left stuff out there. He seemed a little, a little more timid in this game, which was interesting. Um, There were some, some, open receivers that, that he elected not to throw to or missed uh, over the course of the game. So, so there is that. And I want to monitor that moving forward. But like I said, you know, unless he implodes, I I just don't see how, how it's anything other than the best case scenario for Trey Lance is that he's given an opportunity to win it. Um, I just don't, I don't see that happening um, because like I said, this <laughs> Brock Purdy's operating this offense exactly as Kyle Shanahan wants it. And that's, he, he's going to be hard pressed to go off somebody uh, just because they spent three first round picks to draft the kid. You know, there's, there is such a thing as the sunk cost fallacy. And I would imagine at quarterback, that's, you got to, you got to hit that quickly, right? You can't just throw, throw Trey Lance out there because we spent a lot of capital to get him. Nobody cares. Brock Purdy, is is playing the position better and that's all that matters and i love trey yeah and i think he'll be back next year regardless but you know let's see what happens let's see let's talk about it more in like a month right we have all off season to talk about for sure sure. um all right moving to this arizona game man has anybody had more of a nightmare season than the cardinals holy shit just from kyler murray's hair to the acl (laughs) They don't, you, the, t- the team is absolutely in flux. They were going in, they had Marquise Brown and DeAndre Hopkins was suspended, but they knew where they were getting him back in James Conner. And they had Zach Ertz and they drafted Trey McBride and they had Rondale Moore. And it looked like they were going to have this good offense. And it's just been a disaster, absolute disaster. Clingsbury, I know they gave him an extension, but there's been whispers maybe he's going to walk away. JJ Watts retiring at the end of the season. Yes. It's just been an absolute disaster for this team. I love to see it personally. I hate the Cardinals. Yep. <laughs> I hate the Cardinals because they're just the Cardinals, but I do. I don't like them. Um, and I think this game is going to be a cakewalk for the Niners, whether they want to sit some people, whether whatever they want to do. Uh, is it going to be David Blau again starting? Do we know that? It is. It, it is. is. It has been announced. Yep. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he didn't play last week. Is out. I don't know. And DeAndre Hopkins already ruled out. So he's he's out. I don't think there's this game is going to be close so i think the niners will have it wrapped up in the third quarter i think you're going to see some josh johnson at the end um i'm going to say 31 to 13 niners yeah i think that when it comes down to what what this game means i I feel like they're going to know right at least at least for the uh the minnesota game they're going to know right that's 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 an early game in terms of what minnesota does and what the number two if they still are, are the number two seed so I think that they'll have some idea of if they can sit people, but uh, the the Dallas and Eagles game um, is that is that uh, flexed out or what's going on? Or it's, sorry, same, it's, a, it's, a, it's it's an afternoon game. Okay, all right. So they'll be playing at the same time, right? So I think that yeah. by that time they'll know what's going on there two seats. So I think that if it's a blowout and Philadelphia is winning by a lot, I can see Kyle just sitting guys and be like, "All right, the number two seat is wrapped up." We're going to sit some guys, and basically we have nothing to play for at this point. We're going to take the number two seed. But that being said, even the backups will beat this Arizona team. They're that they're that bad, and they're that injured. So 
you know, I can see them getting out to a lead at the beginning and Kyle just being like, hey, we're still play half and sit the rest. Josh Johnson's going to play the rest of the rest of the game after the first half. Um, I'm with Al. Uh, this is going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be, it may not, they may not get to 30 points, but I'm going to say 27 to 17. Yeah, I mean, it's there's the the Cardinals are uh, an unserious team right now. Um, they probably are going to fire their head. Uh, they should fire their GM. Um, we'll see. Uh, but they're absolutely going to have exact opposite records. The 49ers are going to end this season 13 and four. The Cardinals are going to end the season four and 13. The 49ers are going to head into wild card weekend as the two seed because all they need to do is win and i don't the the giants are likely have nothing to play for i don't think they're going to play their starters or at least not play them fully so i imagine the eagles will win so uh two seed and the 49ers are going to roll into the playoffs uh with another 30 point performance i'm going to go 34 to i'm going to say i'm going to say 34 to 16 is the final score and the 49ers will be 13 and four after starting the season three and four. Yeah. Unbelievable. Incredible. Also, Incredible. I, sorry. I meant, I meant uh, Eagles and Giants, not Eagles and Dallas. Thanks for, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. And before we get out of here, I do want to say if the Niners do win their 13th game, Kyle Shanahan would have now done that twice. Did it in 2019 too. When the only other 49ers had coaches to do that more than once are Bill Walsh and George Seifert. So that's pretty good company he would join if he does get to the decent, yeah. decent company. Decent, decent <laughs> company. So, all right, Love guys, it. we got to get out of here. Um, for Brian and Zane, this is Al. Peace. Later. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 